right. This really will be a short one. I always say that and it's not, but it will because I got a hard out in about half an hour, 40 minutes. Uh, I got to pick up Sasha from basketball. It's her first day taking the uh, Metro by herself. And so uh, hopefully she's doing fine. She was brushing me off when I was showing concern, trying to help her out. So hopefully she's fine. I got some interesting news. I am now a Portuguese citizen, dual citizenship, American and Portuguese. This is a big surprise because when we uh, got all our stuff together, all our language tests and paperwork, and then went to Porto, which is the other big city in Port- Portugal, three hours away, stayed with some friends and used that to get a quicker appointment. And then we looked online after we had like paid for it and submitted all our paperwork. Um, it said 24 to 29 months. And here we are like seven months later and it's done. We got it. We're just in the office today for many hours doing the next step. And there's yet even another step to get a passport, but we are citizens. We can actually vote. I don't know shit about Portuguese politics. I don't know if I'm going to learn, but maybe I'll have to because I think you're actually supposed to vote here. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. Dual citizenship. And now we've got to get Sasha the citizenship, but it's good news. I wish the, uh, the houses were going as quickly. It's funny. I had, uh, we had lunch at our architect's place in Kalarish, which is in Sintra. Sintra is the heritage site where one of the places is. And he said, yeah, he thinks this fall and winter will get going. And he said that uh, he knows a prominent lawyer that he helped out, a little rich, prominent Lisbon-based, Lisbon native lawyer, Portuguese guy, who waited two years to get permission to fix his leaky roof. I think he was using pots and pans for two years. Finally got permission. The job took, you know, just a couple of weeks and to replace the roof. And it's like two years just for that. And I thought, I don't know if he's just telling me this to make himself off the take himself off the hook or, you know, if, if a prominent Portuguese lawyer can't get it done, then maybe it's not personal to us. It's just horrendous bureaucracy, but somehow the citizenship worked. It's funny. I talked about my Portuguese driver's license and the hell I went through to get it only to learn like literally the day before my appointment that it was no longer necessary. Well, I got it last October. I just went through with it anyway, paid the 30 bucks, gave my California license to them, which they required to trade for the Portuguese license. There are some benefits to having one if you're here. Like I think when you're 60, which is in seven and a half years for me, you don't have to renew it or there's some benefit. I can't remember what, but I just like, okay, fine. I went through all the shit, take the license. Here's the 30 euros. And they're like, it's going to be six months before you get your license. Well, turns out it's been 11 months and I emailed them annoyed. I was like, even though I got California to send me a replacement, I don't really need it. But just the principle that I paid for it and I went through such hell to like get the appointment and all that stuff. And she's like, yeah, sorry, it's in analysis. It's backed up. So just use your paper license that we gave you for now. And I'm like, you know, that paper license is fine here. But when I'm in the States, they don't know that I got my California license back. I'm like, that's not going to cut it if I get pulled over. I'm like, you guys just send me back my money then and give me my license back. Like, this is ridiculous. This is not acceptable, this process. So far, no response. I first said it in Portuguese and I did it again today in English. But I don't know. Heather's always like, oh, you don't understand the culture here. Like, they don't, they don't operate like that. And I'm like, fuck them. You know, like, you said it would be six months. You made me pay 30 bucks. You took my license. Fuck you. You know, give me my money back. You know, don't, I'm not like, this bureaucracy shit isn't like, Oh, it's just the way it is here. Fuck you. You know, it's not, it's <laughs> fuck you. You know, you said you would give it to me and that's that. So I'm on them, even though it really doesn't matter. 
the other thing is we we had to renew our uh, our residency because we thought that the uh, citizenship would take two years, two and a half years. So our residency was expired August 25th. So we renewed it. And apparently we got that. We had to pay like 200 bucks for that. And then that shit hasn't arrived. And like, there's almost no point in chasing that down because we don't need it anymore. Cause we surprisingly out of nowhere a few days ago, found out that we got citizenship. So you don't need residency if you have a citizenship, but I'm still like, fuck you, send us the cards because we paid for them. You know, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with this place? It's unbelievable. And Heather, once we got the citizenship, she's like, oh, I'm depressed that we're now, we're now Portuguese citizens. I said, you know, you're just one of those people that won't, doesn't want to be part of a club that would have you as a member. That's why you're depressed. She said, maybe, you know, this is the gateway to the EU. We could live in France. We can live here and have the US and the EU. No, you know, the WF EU should be called the WEUF, the scourge. And they have all sorts of terrible plans and it's a very compliant place, but where else are you going to get citizenship? All of the EU plus the US is pretty good. I don't know, Mexico, some uh, Caribbean island where you can have a tax shelter. I don't know, you know, but so I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. She's happy too. She was just <laughs> having a moment. Anyway, I got a bunch of shit to talk about. As some of you may have noticed, I'm rarely on Twitter, only on Tuesdays. I explained it last week. I'm enjoying Noster. I only have 52 followers, but it's good enough. You know, I can interact with people, respond to people and get some engagement there and have good conversations. You know, I used to do this podcast and I would look at my latest Twitter post and remember all the ideas I had. Now I'm doing with Noster, looking at these uh, old Noster posts, but I've got a lot of ideas. I, I'm doing so much football now that I have sort of a backlog of, you know, my normal essays and I don't really have anything that's sort of coherent enough when I start writing, I just kind of take notes. Usually what happens is I've, I have an idea and I start jotting down notes on it. And then like, I just start being compelled to actually write the piece itself. And then I write some kind of draft, revise it, send it to Heather. She gives me some feedback and then I revise it again and then it's ready. But I haven't like felt like writing one right now, maybe just because I'm doing so much football stuff. But um, I, I do have a couple of ideas. One of them, one of them is, uh, and I posted this on Noster and I, you know, I think like you guys should get on Noster. It's just, it's just a strong foundation. Like you're not going to get rugged because you said the wrong thing or you didn't pay for the check or, you know, some other shit. I wanted to talk about one Twitter thing first though, because um, I saw this when I logged on. So apparently the anti-defamation league, the ADL, which was, I think it was founded to fight like legitimate anti-Semitism. And I think it actually did that for a while, but now it's just like, hurling accusations of anti-Semitism just to achieve political ends, which is really gross. Not only because not only are you smearing somebody that is not actually anti-Semitic, but you're also undermining any legitimate charge of that. You know, once the, you start crying wolf over everything, then nobody's really going to give a shit anymore. So that's a real scumbag organization now. And they're accusing Twitter. And I've, I, I'm going to get into Elon Musk. I forgot to follow up with the last podcast. I hope I have enough uh, time to get into all the shit, but I'm not a fan of his. I think he's kind of a con man, but we'll get into that. Anyway, they're accusing Twitter of being anti-Semitic or allowing anti-Semitic posts. And it's just more policing of the public square. And Elon Musk is like, look, you know, half of our advertisers have gone away, you know, his estimate based on this advertisers, they just don't want controversy. ADL can create controversy just from the accusation alone and harm the business. And the only thing I can do is sue them and through discovery, find out like all the bullshit that they're actually doing. 
And I support that 100%. Sue the fuck out of those assholes. You smear people. You try to weaponize things like anti-Semitism to shut down people with different you know, views or um, just to achieve a political aim. I mean, that's just, it's dirty. It's filthy. Uh, and I hope he sues the fuck out of them. And I don't want the public square or whatever Twitter is. It's certainly not a public square X. It's not really a public square, but I, I don't want anyone policing it at all. So I'm uh, 100% on Elon Musk's side on this. And I hope he sues the fucking shit out of those scumbags. And I hope the tactic of smearing and accusing people just to create the controversy to have advertisers run away or, you know, this fucking losers. The more I think about it, this fucking losers in the fantasy industry who were like running to Jeff Erickson and being like, did you see that he, he posted something about outdoor masking? How is this possible that Rotowire, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just fucking losers. I mean, it's, it's so pathetic. And, and I, and I said this before, but I'm going to go on the offense here. Like I'm not going to be like, well, you know, that's free speech and I have a right to say what I, fuck that. Fuck you. Do not associate with those people. You know, if, if I see people fucking budding up to people who they saw just absolutely try to deplatform or go after people's livelihoods for just absolutely true speech and speech that, you know, was just dissent, just healthy, normal dissent. You know, that reflects poorly on you. I'm sorry. I don't think it should be illegal. I'm not going to go after your job or do anything like that. But if I see you fucking palling around with people who were those scumbags, I, it just gives me a lower opinion of you. It just does. It's not like I'm going to do something to you. No, I, I'm not. That's, you know, you're not the one who did what they did. You're, you're not um, guilty of what they're guilty of by association, but it does lower my opinion of you. It's like, if you were hanging out with a child molester, I, you know, it doesn't mean you're a child molester, but it, it lowers my opinion of you. This isn't that bad, obviously, but this is, it's bad. You know, if these people behave like this, and you're giving them a fucking pass. It just makes me think like you don't really have high standards and you're not really um, my people. You know, you're not the people that believe in, you know, free expression and, and are against the policing of the public square. And, and, you know, I do lose respect for people who associate with them. It's just true. I mean, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to go, oh, you hang out with him. So you should be in trouble. I don't think that. I think that should be able to do whatever you want, but I'm just being honest. It does lower my opinion of people. If you have these guys who behave like that and who were bigots, you know, they were basically intolerant scumbags and, you know, toward the people that you could be intolerant to, which was people who dissented and you, and you give them a pass. Like it, it lowers my opinion. If I see people promoting them or, you know, interacting with them, I just think, ah, oh, that's disappointing. I just, how I, it's just honest. And that's how I feel. And I'm on the offense, man. Like, I don't tolerate the fucking intolerant. I just don't. If I, if I see people giving it a pass, I'm just going to, uh, whatever you may not care. And that's fine. I'm just one person. I, I suspect other people feel the same way, but it's just my honest feeling is like, if it, it's if people who are like giving a pass to that kind of behavior, like I don't respect it. I don't respect it. And I lose a little bit of respect for the person. If, if the guy apologized or he owned it or, you know, or if the person interacting with them said, look, man, I really don't respect what you did or how you behaved and told them that, that would be one thing. But if you're just acting like that sort of intolerance didn't happen, or those people weren't really trying to stifle dissent in a time when there was huge overreach, then um, I'm going to lose respect. And that's just, that's just the honest truth. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little sidetracked. I basically for Elon Musk completely in this fight against the ADL, but then he hires this WEF affiliated CEO to police his own site. And 
Linda Yaccarino said, you know, we're going to reduce the reach of posts that are lawful yet awful. We're not going to censor them, but we're going to reduce their reach. We're going to throttle them, which is the same thing as censorship. Nobody sees it. I mean, that's the same thing as deleting it. I and mean, what's the difference to reducing the reach is censorship. And so you have your own internal CEO censoring to get more ad advertisers there and you're suing the ADL. It makes no fucking sense. I mean, what is like your WAF shill, your hall monitor is more wholesome or enlightened than their hall monitor. I mean, the ADL is just hall monitoring on behalf of its clients and she's just hall monitoring on behalf of her advertisers. What the fuck is the difference? I mean, who, how can he stand up and act like he's a champion of free speech when his CEO that he picked out literally said the lawful yet awful stuff is going to get reach reduced. And I, I just feel like who the fuck is she to say what's lawful and awful? I mean, she probably still considers saying that the Pfizer shot coincided with a 20% excess death uh, in the population that that's, you know, harmful disinformation. I mean, she probably believes that shit. I think she was shilling the vax. I don't, I, I saw something on that, but you can double check. It's not even important though. The things that were considered harmful misinformation were actually true. And so to have this person doing the exact thing that you're suing the ADL for, fuck you. You know, I don't care. I, 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 I that's why I'm on Noster because I don't respect this guy. And I feel like the guy is a bit of a con artist. Um, and the con artist, the best con artist, the guys you like, and I'm thinking of writing this piece on it. I remember in house of games, Joe Montana was the actor and it was this whole, he was conning Lindsay Cruz, who was a psychologist and it's a good movie. I don't know if it holds up cause I saw it a couple of times, but not for the last like 15 years, but I used to really like it. And I remember he uh, cons this sort of like vet out of his money. They're in like a Western union. And he says, he's, he acts like he's exasperated from a long day and his kids are whatever waiting in the car. And there's, he says something like that. And the vet is like, the vet's talking about how he's exasperated. He's waiting for his money. And Joe Montaigne says, you know what? If mine comes first, you can have it. And I'll just wait for yours. And he gets the vet to be like, oh, no, no, no. If mine comes first, you can have mine. And basically takes his money. And of course, Joe Montaigne's character was never getting any money and, and cons the guy. And he's like, you know, you offer something to him and then he is going to offer something to you. And that's the basis of that particular con. And that's kind of what I feel like is going on a lot. You know, these people who are saying all the right stuff, this Vivek, I don't know the guy's last name, Vivek, the Republican candidate who's saying all this base shit, but he was like profiteering off of COVID and working with, I think one of the worst state governors and, you know, it's just like, and this guy kind of came out of nowhere and he's saying all the right stuff, but talk is cheap, especially if you're not, if it's not costing you, if, if your constituency doesn't, you know, disagree with you. The people who say what you want to hear, who give you that thing, you know, he was explaining, I think in the movie to the vet, to, to Lindsay Cruz, how he conned him. He's like, you give them your confidence. You show confidence in them and then they return it in you. And I feel like a lot of these, um, politicians or just sort of Elon Musk types who are talking about free speech. He's doing that con. He's giving you something that you want that sounds really refreshing. And then you give him your trust. You pay for the site. You stay on his site. You think you're protected um, by his sort of free speech ethos. He just strikes me as a con man. And, you know, I wrote the whole antichrist and that he was the best candidate for it. And it was a bit, you know, hyperbole, obviously, but that's exactly the type of guy that, you know, you're going to like the Antichrist. He's going to say the stuff you want. He's going to be a con man. He's not going to be Klaus Schwab telling you to eat bugs that you hate immediately, or even Bill Gates, you know, tinkering 
genetically modifying mosquitoes. I think there were like malaria cases in Florida for the first time ever fucking around with this dangerous person. But I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't consider that to be the antichrist. The antichrist would be someone you actually like a con man of sorts. And then the other one I was thinking of, it was Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. It's a great movie. I think they're both David Mamet um, actually scripts, but were based on his plays. But that movie, uh, there's a great scene where Al Pacino is getting like wasted with his Mark, the guy who's trying to sell some shit timeshares or real estate or whatever they're selling to these guys. And they're talking about like deep shit about life. You know, it's, it's not just the uh, saying the things that you agree with, but it's like literally connecting with you on an emotional level about deep things just to sell you. So, you know, just beware the guy who says what you want to hear. Beware the people who are saying all the right things. Talk is cheap. You know, Elon Musk hired Linda Yaccarino. That's action. That's what you watch. The action, not the talk. You know, she is throttling accounts on Twitter that she deems awful. It's, it's, it's up to her, some careerist WF apparatchik, in her opinion, what's awful. And is that going to differ that much from what the ADL is doing, falsely accusing Twitter of anti-Semitism to achieve its own uh, end? So that's just something from Twitter. On Noster, I was looking for uh, some sort of bigger accounts to see like if they'd been on Noster and Naval Ravikant is on it, but he hadn't posted in seven months, but I only had a couple of posts there, but I saw a post of his that I actually reposted and it just really made me think. Um, he, he wrote, either create wealth or a passive income or become a monk or do what you love more than money. What remains is taming the mind and body, seeking truth, creating love and art. The world has nothing to offer you and you are free. And I don't know, I've read that sentiment many times. I read a million Zen books when I was in college, but it just kind of hit me like, do, do the things you want. Like I love fantasy sports and I want to say what's on my mind and write these essays and it just doesn't matter. And that's just, uh, I don't know, just, I read, I read that and I reposted it because I thought like, that's just a very, makes me relax. It makes me relil, makes me relil, like whatever, I'm just doing this thing and it'll either catch on or it won't. And either way, it's fine. It really is. It's not up to me. Uh, it's up to me to keep doing stuff. That's all. Do the stuff I like. It's not up to me to see where it goes. That's up to everybody else. It's their call. Uh, the other thing, I was rereading some of the old uh, chrysalis.substack.com posts. And I don't mean to sound too cocky, but I was like, these are good. You know, these are these expressed what I wanted to say. And it's a lot of the shit that I see on social media, not expressed as clearly, in my opinion. And I was like, Noster has a lot of these Bitcoiners and sort of like-minded people, people who care about you know civil rights and freedom and creativity and sort of the ability not to be told what you know you can say and can't say, what is uh, allowed and not allowed. And I think you know this, uh, it's the same thing. It's like I feel like if you know they this would catch on if they knew about it. They don't know about it, and they may find out or not. But it feels good to be posting in a place where most of the people, and again, I have 52 followers, but most of the people are sort of early adopters of this freedom tech. Um, there's probably some scams going on there. There's definitely some bots, not as many as Twitter, but there's some bots and that shit will just increase as it grows. But I feel like the, the people there that you're interacting, they're all sort of bought into the same premise. We're here because this is free, because this is not owned by anybody, not controlled by anybody. And that's kind of a, comforting feeling. I started a 
a real man sports one feed, which is fun because there's nobody doing sports on this. And uh, again, I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily think it's going to catch on, but it allows me to post short form only about sports. So if you're into the sports stuff, you can go to realmansports.com and the feed is just there. It's linked to it on the top. And so this is working, you know, I'm figuring things out little by little, like what I want to say, how to get it connected to my other things, not have 50 million sites and then on Twitter and everything else is going to be consolidated a little bit more and it's working. Another thought that I had that I posted there and it kind of led to another thought will probably lead to a longer piece is you talk about somebody as God-fearing. It's a God-fearing person. I used to think that's kind of an authoritarian, right? He's a God. He's one of those Jesus freaks. He, he loves God, you know, whatever God says, whatever the priests in the church say, you know, that's what he does because he's just a, an authoritarian. You know, God is the church and the priest and they tell him what to do and the Bible tells him what to do and he just does what he's told. It's authoritarian. God-fearing person is a, fears the most powerful entity. He's afraid of it and he does the bidding of it. And some dark ages shit, you know, where the, everybody just obeys the church. But, you know, recently as that, at least in my circles, has become heresy to be God-fearing, to be into God or Jesus. That would be heresy in my neoliberal circles, which are still my circles. And so in the other sense of God, you know, there's sort of in the Hinduism, there's the Brahman, which is like the whole totality, I think. I'm not that up on Hinduism. And I remember Atman is sort of the inner, inner soul, innermost soul. But like Brahman is Atman. It's the same thing. The innermost soul is the sort of the, the totality. And if you think of God as your innermost truth, your innermost soul, then a God-fearing person is the one who fears betraying his deepest values, his deepest truths. And so another word for God-fearing uh, in modern parlance is based. Dude is based is a dude who's God-fearing. He's not worried about what other people think, his loser fucking tribal edict following authoritarians who say you can't dissent, you got to take the Pfizer, you can't even talk about being against mandates to the Pfizer. They're going to go to your job. You can't talk about whether you whether it's okay not to wear a mask outside. You go to your go to your partners and try to rat you out, undermine your economic security because of this. He doesn't give a fuck about that because he's God fearing. He cares about his most inner truth. He's based. He cares about what he at the deepest level believes is true and right and righteous. And so the God-fearing person is a based person, is somebody who's true to himself. So now I used to think of God-fearing as authoritarian, and I'm sure there still are those people, right? They just, they're just in some kind of cult where, you know, their particular church leader or somebody is the boss of them. But I think there's a lot of God-fearing people that are actually based, the real deal. They don't give a fuck about what society's telling them to think. They have a deeper sense of loyalty to their innermost truth. So just something that I was thinking about. I don't know if I talked about this last podcast, but I was uh, having a uh, $250 bottle of Armagnac and Calvados with uh, Heather's uh, old boss at his house in Normandy. And we were talking about partying and some old ridiculous things both of us had done in the day. But how neither of us, you know, we're addicted to any of it. We never, I never got addicted to cocaine or any of these harsh drugs. I, you know, I smoke cigars a couple times a week, you know, but I'm never like jonesing or buying cigarettes. And I said to him, you know, I think it's kind of a matter of faith. Like it's in a way a lack of faith that there's something more important than the next hit 
the next fix, the next whatever it is you need, the next even dopamine fix. You know, the people who rat out others, they're looking for tribal validation. The people who can't, you know, take a step back and say, what's true? What's right? What do I really think? It's just the next bit of validation, the next bit of belonging, the excuse to act out some sort of emotional tantrum on another person because it's being green lighted and blessed by the powerful, by the people in your tribe. I feel like that's kind of a, a faithlessness, you know, a faithlessness in what's right and what's true. And that I just suggested that maybe, you know, if you believe that like there's something important in your life or your life is important or um, what's true is important or my innermost self and values are important, you probably won't decide that like doing cocaine every day is a good idea. You know, it doesn't mean you won't try it or do it. It just means that like giving yourself over to that is your habit. It just, you won't do it. And I think sometimes, I don't know, that may be the dividing line between someone who's craving. It may not just be drugs. You know, it may be someone who's craving, uh, somebody who's willing to work for the WEF, someone who's willing to exploit other people. It's like, yeah, the money's pretty fucking good, man. I'm enjoying it. It's like, it's because you don't have faith that like what's right is always going to be better. What's true is always going to pan out in the long haul. You're always going to sell out for something. And I don't want to act like I'm some perfect person and haven't sold out or haven't, you know, gone for the short reward rather than the long game. Of course I have. But just generally speaking, I think there is kind of a dividing line between people who are faithless and people who have like a sense of faith where they're like, look, there's just, I just don't think this is right. I just think it's better in the long run for myself as a human being to do what's right. It's just more important. It's going to be better for my life. Even if my life has more pain or discomfort because of it, it's going to be better to be based. And it's just, that's just an act of faith because you don't know for sure. Maybe you'll be the based guy. And I'm not talking about sort of the Nietzschean excuse where you're like, well, yeah, I totally failed and I'm broke and I haven't done anything that I wanted, but I'm a good person. I'm morally good. I'm not talking about that kind of fake pat yourself on the back excuse in your life. I'm talking about actually deciding that something you could have had and was offered to you was just not in your interest in the long haul because it was out of step with your values. Anyway, that was something I was thinking about. The difference between a person with faith and a person without, you kind of see over the long haul. And, you know, I was kind of disappointed in some of my friends because I thought they were one way and they were the other way, you know, just people who, you know, really did not want the shot, but took it. I, I, I don't, if somebody didn't know or they thought the shot would help and they took it and they were duped or whatever, it's just an honest mistake. But I mean, people who were dead set against it, but they got it because they wanted to travel, you know, fuck dude, I wanted to travel. And I just feel like they kind of sold themselves out because people who knew that they shouldn't be, that medicine shouldn't be mandated. They didn't want any part of it yet. They did it anyway. I guess I'm disappointed in those people. You know, maybe I'm just uh, a harsh person, but I, I, it's not the way I thought it would go. You, you really learned about different people in the last few years. Of course, that's way different than persecuting people. I mean, it's a, it just it disappoints me. It's like sad in a way more than, uh, you know, I'm not angry with them. I'm just like, oh man, really? And I, you know, there's maybe there's a hint of anger because 
everybody that did it to travel sold everybody out. If nobody did it, nobody would have to do it because be, it just wouldn't take and it would fail. But everybody who said, ah, you know, I'll do it to travel, fine. That means that everybody who didn't want it had to stay home and not travel in order not to take it. And, you know, you did sell people out. But I, I've talked about this before, but I'm a bit hypocritical because I pay my taxes and I pay them even though I don't believe in the causes to which they're going, I still pay them. So somebody who is a hard ass, hardcore, doesn't pay taxes could say I sold them out. So I think that's a fair criticism of me also. That's about it. Oh, one other note, just to follow up on a couple other podcasts, um, the uh, What Is He Doing podcast. And then last week I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have gone into all that. Like these sort of uh, the old Jewish couple was judgment of, you know, what's he doing? Like, how's he making a living? And I said, you know, I probably went a little too far in um, exploring their point of view, which I mean, who cares? You know, fuck it. Who gives a shit? I, I forgot to, I just wanted to add in that uh, that dude uh, made a decent amount of money as a massive pharma shill. I don't want to get more specific than that because I don't want to out people that, you know, I don't want to <laughs> you know identify him more than that, but he has made his money exclusively for for being uh, a very good friend to the pharmaceutical industry. So I just think that's funny. Like the guy, I forgot to add that in. Like the uh, the guy who's uh, wondering about what I'm doing is like, but what the fuck are you doing? You know, what are you doing? Maybe you should uh, have a little more faith. All right, that's going to do it. Got to go run and pick up Sasha. Till next time.